Hello and welcome to Black Girls Presents. This week we have a very special spooky podcast. My name is Beth and I work in the Nonington Room. On a spooky theme, uh, the best Halloween costume that I ever wore was when I dressed as a moon, which is, I guess, quite scary because the moon is so far away and quite bright. I think it's, and spooky things happen in moonlight. Yeah. It's like, it's like spooky by association. Yeah. I'm Alex, I work in events at Broad Street. Um, my best Halloween costume, I went as a corpse that had been chopped into pieces and then reanimated by a magical sword. So I had all these bits of like duct tape around various bits of my body where I'd been stuck back together again and then I and like fake blood everywhere and then this magical sword. It was basically this toy sword with a little purple gem in it that was the thing that had brought me back to life. Alex, that's amazing. Wow. That's, yeah, no, it's still like yeah. there were many years of being a pirate. There were many years of being a witch, but that—that's the most like original, fun one that I've ever done. Hi, I'm Kat. I'm a bookseller in the Norrington Room at Broad Street. And while, of course, Wonder Woman is, was used a couple of times in my Halloween costume, I think my favorite was recently with my husband. We went with Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett. So that was a fun one oh. for me. That's quite sweet, but also in a very kind of sadistic way <laughs> yeah did That's you eat human pies <laughs> i made pies but they, they weren't they were human pies you said off the so. record <laughs> yeah it's not gonna have it recorded no, no, <laughs> uh, my name is kiara i am a bookseller in the art shop also in broad street my best halloween costume was when i was about seven or eight i went like full-on darth vader costume and it looked so good and so accurate my mom made it for me and we bought like this mask that cost a ridiculous amount of money it was to this day as a star wars nerd that was my best moment unsurpassed halloween costume it's never it's never been better than that it was great okay so alex i believe that you have some spooky stories about blackwells to tell us i do yeah so a little while ago we had a ghost tour of the shop and we collected together all the scary stories that people had known about the shop and experienced here um one of them happened outside the office that i now work in and had terrified me for years and then i found out that it happened very early in the morning and that helped because i'm never here at like half past seven <laughs> but basically um ros used to work up in the admin office on at least two occasions came out of the office into this area which is glamorously where the staff toilets are um <laughs> And saw an old woman, like, walking towards her, looking very disapproving. Um, never said anything, but the first few times it happened, she sort of had come out of the office, thought it was a person, went back, turned around to see who it was, and they were gone. But that area used to be part of the family house. So, and it would have been, like, servant quarters oh. um, up there. Um, there's another great story. That happened downstairs in the Norrington room. Where when there okay, there are two great stories that happened downstairs in the Norrington room, <laughs> both involving animal ghosts. So, <laughs> so they're amazing. And um, in one of the one of the builders was working, I think around like on the law balcony, possibly near where travel is, that sort of side. Looked up and saw this black dog running towards him, like barking. He like freaked out, ran off. There was no dog there, but he refused 
to come back to work. <laughs> Understandably. The grim. The yeah. Grim. Classic. Terrifying. <laughs> um, people have seen people up on the second floor as well. And I've had to walk through there in the dark and been really freaked out. People in kind of Edwardian looking clothes on the second floor. Um, but my favourite story out of all the stories in Blackwell's on the stairs going down to the Norrington room, when they were digging out the Norrington room and working on it, one of the workers saw a bear coming down what is now the stairs. And this has always been my favorite. It's the one ghost I really want to see in the shop is that ghost bear. Um, and obviously, you know, he also freaked out and wouldn't come back to work here. But it turns out that the area that is now the Norrington room there used to be an alley that ran between, like, by the pub. Um, and down that alley, back in, you know, hundreds of years ago, there was bear pits. So there was, like, bear baiting stuff happening down there. So it makes sense that there wow. would be a ghost bear. It probably did not die happily. Wow. But, yeah, it's 100% my favourite ghost story in the shop. And the thing with this shop is, you know, during the day, it's busy. There's loads of people. There's a million lights on. It's not that scary. At night, once everyone's gone and you're closing up and then you suddenly remember all these ghost stories you've heard. It's really creepy. It is terrifying being here at night. Like when you're closing up after an event. Um, I was once trying to call my manager, who I knew was in the office upstairs. And I saw that the phone was just ringing through and ringing through. So I was about to put it down when I saw that it had been picked up. And I held it to my ear, and it was just, please leave a message after the text. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. At one point as well, I swear every single poster in the history department had a face on it. And you would come out of the cash office, and all the lights are up. It's very dark right outside the cash office. And you're walking forward, and these faces are, like, looming at you out of the dark. And I'd be like, it's okay. It's just a poster for this table. That's just a picture of Queen Elizabeth. It's fine, but... You know, as much as you rationally tell yourself this. Yeah, it's terrifying. This makes me want to, like, stay over. Mm. Like, sleep yeah. over one night. Sleep over. That would be fine. We should do it. Would it, or would it just be like being at work, but at night time? <laughs> <laughs> would we all feel like, yeah, we need to question. tidy. Start, yeah. like, no. shelving books. <laughs> yeah. Is the martyrs, that's in the middle of this street, right? Yeah. Mm. So it, what is that So. About? It's not the actual spot where it happened, because the actual spot where it happened, I think, is actually, like, under Trinity College. But it's uh, where um, a bunch of people got burnt for being Catholic. <laughs> Watch out, people! They wouldn't. Not anymore. Um, <laughs> pledge themselves to, like, Henry VIII's new way of doing stuff. Um, um, so they got burnt. But they've actually moved it. It was in... Like, I think it's like there's building stuff where it actually was. So they moved it to that spot. Oh. And now it's in the middle of a road. Huh. I always forget how old Oxford is. Like, the university, how old was the university? For like 1500 years? A million years. It's not like in like 1200? <laughs> yeah, I think. 1200 yeah. or like. Yeah. Yeah. 12 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 12 years ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was going to say, I would think the university and the Bodleian and things would have some really good. Mm. Ghost yeah, stories. Yeah. yeah. Tunnels that go underground. Are they just yeah. a myth or are they actually well, they're they're real? Bodleian's, Bodleian's got some, I know. I don't know about anybody else, but mm. the Bodleian does. That's my favorite question is when I get customers <laughs> yeah. who come up and are just like, where is the tunnel? 
that connects the art shop uh, to the art shop. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you know about this? <laughs> but also, is it true? And we're just, we have to let them down. And it's, it's terrible because I, I'd love, yeah, I'd love if that was true. And then just like take a bunch of customers, like come in with like a, <laughs> like a, a torch. <laughs> just the under the Bodleian? I, I yeah, no, the ones under the Bodleian, I think, that's are really genuine. Yes. Okay, so it's like there's, Meant to be one between uh, main shop and I don't know. They ask. They people ask in Norrington too. Yeah, people yeah, certainly yeah. think so. But if you think like that's only been the art shop, like For not really that long. Right. Yeah. It's like I mean potentially if you think of all the shops on Broad Street that have been Blackwells, <laughs> there was like a paperback shop down yeah. the road. Mm. I think the one that is now that called Britannia shop. Mm. Like oh, there've been okay. tunnels all over the place. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, shall we talk about some books, Alex? Mm. Go on then. Queen of horror. Mm. <laughs> oh my god, thank you. <laughs> okay, so I sort of sat down and started writing this list of lots of horror books and spooky books that we like. And like my favourite book of all time that I've read, I think, 16 times is Dracula. Um, and obviously everyone should read Dracula, it's amazing. But then I thought, you're all going to have heard of Dracula. There is a book called Powers of Darkness that came out maybe a couple of years ago there is a translation. Basically, they found it in Iceland, this translation of Dracula that no one realised was there and it's really different. And it's from, like, it's... So it is Bram Stoker and it's kind of based on notes that he did, um, but they just kind of went off on their own thing and translated it in a really different way. Um, So it's called Powers of Darkness. It's mainly in the castle, so it's mainly, like, the bulk of it is sort of the beginning of Dracula with Jonathan Harker in the castle, but there's like a crazy ghost woman up in a tower. There's some kind of monstrous beast man, like other than Dracula, creeping around the place. It's really great. It's got every like gothic trope monster thing going on. And then like bits of that you'll recognise from Dracula. And then after you have all this bit in the castle that's really like creepy and good, it's then like, it almost has that feeling of like, oh, now we have to sort all of this out. So the end feels really rushed. But it's just really interesting because it takes this story that, you know, everyone knows really well. And just you see all these added extra bits. But um, yeah, it's been just like, I think, available in Icelandic for ages. And no one kind of noticed. And then one day someone was like, wait a second. Your version of Dracula is completely different <laughs> to everybody else's. What is it about Dracula that draws you to it so much? I don't know. I read it first when I was 11. And I remember just being completely terrified. Um, the bit when Renfield... I was like, is this a spoiler? <laughs> the bit when Renfield dies. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> um, and it's really violent. And I remember just being like, it's stuck in my head so much. And, you know, there are lots of books I really loved as a kid, but I think it was the first time something so just got stuck in my head. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I just kept reading it again and again. And every time I'd read it, there'd be something else. I used to find the bits, there's some bits written in like sort of Yorkshire dialect when they're talking to these old men in Whitby. And it took me ages to kind of get my head around that because I used to find it really hard to kind of get the accent and what they were going for. Um, and then, you know, after reading it like a million times, it would click and I just I love it no one has ever adapted it in a way that I am satisfied with mm. as well so it's I'm always like oh 
Oh, well, you get the new one coming out. out. So no, which I think. haven't watched the trailer for, but I'm excited yeah. about. But the new Netflix, the Mark Gaddis and Stephen yeah, Moffat. Oh, I saw this on Twitter. Um, mm. Do you reckon it's going to be good? I hope so. Do you know, it's, I'm so laid back about adaptations. Normally I'm like, it's its own thing. You still yeah. have the original. And then when it comes to Dracula, I like turn into this completely unreasonable human being. And I'm just like, why have you made Dracula sexy? It says in the book that he's repulsive. I don't know what it is. He's smelly and everyone hates him. Like, that's the one thing I get really unreasonable about. So where did um, that start? Like the sexy Dracula. Where did that then well it's interesting because the sexy vampire thing is older than dracula oh, okay. if you look at like polidori um and like camilla and like the older vampire stories before dracula mm. they pretty much were all really sexy and really oh. like like sexual predators oh, okay in some ways and then if you look like in dracula with the brides they are like with jonathan harker like mm. that's there but actually like dracula himself Although he has a kind of strange power about him, it's never in the book like a sexual. He's not seen as being attractive. Interesting. Like even when he looks younger. But I think it's it's almost like this vampire sex thing was there already. Right. And then people are just like, sex sells in the movies. Want to have someone hot playing him? <laughs> yeah, I ended up having a weird conversation with my mum about whether Bella Lugosi was good looking. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's hot. What are you talking about? She was like, yeah, because they didn't use sex in that one. I was like, didn't they? Because <laughs> well, you think, yeah, because like Nosferatu is yeah. not attractive at all in that adaptation. Yeah. Right? But that's, and the reason that's called Nosferatu and he's like Count Orlock in yeah. it is because the Bram Stoker estate wouldn't give them right. the right to use it, which is just a bit, because it makes you realise how old that film is. Right. That's only like, what, 20 years? Not even after. that after the book. Yeah. Uh, which is just mad. But, um... Yeah, I just love it, and I'm yeah, it's I'm gonna read it again like this Halloween because I then sort of accidentally bought myself a really another beautiful edition of Dracula because well I had a bit of a cull I realised I had loads of copies <laughs> I was like this is silly but then we have this really nice edition in the shop that's actually the puffin classic like hardback mm, okay but um like it's not abridged or anything which is one of the things I love that there are all these classic horror books that. Because they're classic and, you know, they don't have any swear words. If there's any sex in it, it's very, like, coded and mm-hmm. very covered up. So it's totally acceptable for children to read them. Yeah. Which is great. There's that Ladybird version um, of Dracula. The yes. one of the small ones, which was dra- yeah. drawn... Um, the cover of it was drawn by an ex-Blackwells bookseller. Oh. Um, Matthew Land. He used to work at the Blackwells Westgate until recently. Yeah. Oh. And it's a beautiful it's, cover yeah. as well. It's really good. It's really striking. I think another thing I love with Dracula is it's been around so much it's been studied so much there are so many like theories i've read so many different interpretations one i am particularly fond of is the idea that quincy who's like the the american guy in it there is a theory that he is a vampire because um lucy turns into a vampire fully after she gets his blood transfusion and there are all these things and he oh man spoilers again i do apologize (laughs) dies at the end Um, (laughs) and i read this whole theory that was basically that because he's a vampire and he actually gets killed but they don't want to tell you that he's a vampire um because there was and it was the titans this whole thing about like the new world and progress and like you're not wanting to paint the americans in a bad light because it's you know the future and um but yeah i think 
I think, I mean, the vampire figure in fiction is so just like enduring and will, I think, will never just run out of, of portrayals. But yeah. it's very good so what you say because it opens up, I think. After we had the whole like surge of like every novel is about vampires now, which mm-hmm. is like in like mid two thousands or whatever, uh, I feel like it opened up again to really interesting portrayals. One of my favorite ones is this comic called American Vampire, which yeah. very much is what you're talking about. And I know you've read it. And uh, it starts. It's all in America, and every volume. It's there up to volume eight right now, and. Every volume is in a different decade, starting from... The origin story is like in, in the 19th century, and then it goes from the 20s onwards. So it's like, it literally shows you the like the lifespan of vampires as they go through time, because obviously as immortals. And the, it, it's just, it's written by Scott Snyder, with the main artist is Raphael Albuquerque, and then rotating artists for like different decades and stuff. And it's just great, because... It situates the vampire myth in a kind of setting that's different from what people are used to, which is not like the gothic kind of like English or even this is the Eastern European sort of like traditional mm. setting. But it's literally like it starts off as a Western <laughs> and then um, and then kind of evolves and it shows you like what positions vampires are more likely to take and how they they sort of like get used to society and just like hide in the shadows and and. Obviously, they're more likely to take positions of power because they've been there for ages and there's, there's this whole hierarchy and system. But it's like a, just a great story. In the first volume, one of the arcs is written by Stephen King. So it's got some good, mm-hmm. got some good cred. And, um, and it's just like a, a really, really good epic and a really good um, um, saga. And it's due to come back next year. So it's ongoing. It's continuing. And yeah, it's like eight volumes so far. But absolutely like completely worth the the investment because it's great it's like i just read salem's lot for the first time this season i had like three or four people when i put out you know social media what's your favorite seasonal read like four or five they're just like salem's lot you gotta read salem's mm. lot I'm like all right i'll i'll read that and it was just it was lovely to read a, a vampire story that's set in like small town america as opposed to a big city yeah. I feel like a lot of times you think of you know vampires going where there's a lot of a population so they can blend in. But you think about you know these little podunk cities, especially in the states that are in the middle of nowhere and no one thinks about them. And the numerous ghost towns you can drive through in the states as different economies have crashed and you're like, and no one thinks anything of it. And so being able to set this book in this small town and just how easy it is to just take over yeah, that's one of the few books that's ever given me nightmares i had <laughs> nightmares about salem's lot it's amazing i haven't seen have you watched the movie I've never yeah seen how is that there's you know it's 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 not great but there are bits in it that just for some reason i found there's a bit with people like floating outside windows Ooh. that just really it's creepy really creepy mm-hmm. yeah because it's like kids as well yeah yeah good old creepy. stephen king <laughs> I think um, in terms of young adult stuff, um, there was all the like Twilight, House of Night things in like mid noughties, and that was when I was about fourteen. So I was mm. really into it. I was like Edward Cullen, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but everything just kind of died away in young adult vampires for a while. Like, there's a lot of witch stuff and devils and 
numerous other monsters, mm. but um, Kira Mulwood Hargrave has kind of brought the vampire topic back, but she's done it so well. So she's done a retelling of Dracula, but um, a, from a feminist perspective. So there's a couple of young girls um, in, I want to say, Eastern Europe who kind of live in the woods um, and until one day they're captured, taken to a place, and then they're chosen by a particular person to go stay with him. Everyone's scared of him and they're like, ooh, he's a vampire. And they're like, what's a vampire? Um, hmm. But it's, it's I'm explaining it really badly. Um, what's the <laughs> title? Uh, the Deathless Girls Deathless. by Kira Millward Hargrave. Hmm. So her books are always incredible and it's her first young adult book. Um, mm. And it's really, really worth reading. It's so beautifully written as well. I find that a lot with vampire books are especially beautifully written. Hmm. There's something about them that's just... Yeah. Yeah. I think... I think it's like vampires themselves, unlike a lot of other, like, monsters, vampires are, like, they're intelligent and they're, they're normally mm. quite, like, eloquent. And I think that comes across in the books. Like, I mean, I, zombies are, like, my favourite thing. But, you know, they're not <laughs> eloquent. And and I always think zombie things work best when there's an element of humour as well because it is like inherently quite stupid. Um, whereas I think vampires, it's that it's mm. creepy. It's the idea that it could be someone that you know and normally you know, and where they have brought in things about being attracted to people as well. It's yeah, just like their knowledge because they're usually if they've been around for a while and they obviously have seen a few things. So yeah, um, you know what have they done with their time? That's one thing that I did like I read Discovery of Witches um, with the vampire, like the fact that they have like research facilities in like Oxford University and like they're, they're like doing these different studies and they're able to, you know, because they can live forever. Yeah. And so what you can do with that kind of power. Yeah. <laughs> but there's always a sophisticated side, yeah. I feel like, to the vampire. Yeah. And it's always like this, like, it's almost like a very polished, like, constructed image. Mm. And I always like the sort of, like, the, the binary of the, um, they always, yeah, they, they always look attractive or there's this seductive element. And then there's the whole thing with, like, mirrors where you can't actually see yeah. them, which is not always. It's just one of those prevalent, like, things in the mythology. Yeah. But, like, the fact that there's this whole image that is supposed to attract and charm and whatever and then actually how much of that is well the actual thing yeah. how much of that is fake and yeah but then that's the thing with people um who are immortal like dorian gray mm. he was meant to be really attractive so mm. is that just a common trope um people who live forever get really attractive <laughs> yeah or is it just that you learn how to make yourself attractive to people yeah Ooh, you've got yeah. all this time to be like oh because like you said you've got all that you'd have all this confidence you'd know all this stuff mm. Um, yeah, so maybe it's just that. Because like you said, it's like Dracula is meant to be gross, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's meant to be really repulsive. But yeah, what is it about evil. the character? But like you said, what is it, what is it about the character that like then in adaptations is always like yeah. really attractive? Or at the very least, there's like an attractive version and then at some point twist. Yeah. It's, it, it's, he's ugly. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's ugly. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Have any of you read uh, Let the Right One In? Yes. No. Oh, see, that, that kid in that is meant to be really compelling as well. Yeah. Um, it is one of the only books that's ever really scared me. Oh. I, there's this one particular scene that like has stayed with me and haunted me. 
um, because it's so graphic. Mm. Um, it's a scene where he's in the hospital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they did film adaptations. Yeah, I've seen the just... film, but I haven't. Have you seen the American or the Swedish? The, the, the Swedish. Okay. Because the American one is awful. Oh, um, no, the Swedish one is spread. okay, but still not Yeah, spread. I saw the Swedish one before I'd read the book. Ooh. And um, I was at a horror film festival and um, the author was there. And he was talking about it and he was saying that it's kind of based on his life when he was like a young boy in Sweden in like the 80s. And he said, but with added vampires, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> but, yeah. I did play Mina in a Dracula panto. Oh, nice. Yeah. My husband and his sister wrote Dracula the panto. We did it in Stratford upon Avon, and then they rewrote it for an American audience, and we did it in the Fringe uh, in the U.S. in Indianapolis because Panto is not a thing oh, in the U.S. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we had by doing Dracula, we felt like that was a a guaranteed audience, first mm-hmm. of all, because people love Dracula, and then we had to kind of do an introduction, kind of explain to people how they needed to interact and right. get them to understand, and so. Yes, uh, my husband played Quincy at one point. I don't think he did in the American version, though, but I played Mina. Was he secretly a vampire? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. The answers are here. <laughs> hope not. But, uh, yeah, so no, I know that we... It was, really, it was, good, it was good fun. I want to see this. But. So, looking at some YA books, there's this great book that I really love called Daughters Unto Devils by Amy Lukovich. And this was described to me as being Little House on the Prairie meets The Exorcist. What? And I was just like... Sold! <laughs> what is it called? Daughters Unto Devils. And, okay. it, and it is Little House on the Prairie meets The Exorcist. Um, it's the story, very much like Little House on the Prairie, about a family who, they're, they're living in the big woods and there's a horrible winter and they move out on the prairie to try and improve their lot um but on the way the main character is being haunted um she gets pregnant she loses the child and she's being haunted by this like ghost baby it's so creepy it's as creepy as you can possibly be and still publish something as a ya book um there's lots of things in it about like guilt and sort of fear of the unknown um they're from like a very strict religious sect so there's things in there about it it's yeah it's brilliant like isolation because they're in the middle of nowhere um yeah it's just it's really well written and you really get the sense of fear from like the main characters and her you know her parents don't believe her and she's trying to warn them about what's happening which and they don't listen um but yeah daughters and devils really enjoyed that it's always my like go to if someone wants a, like young adult horror. I'm like, have you seen this? <laughs> There's some really good young adult horror out there. For instance, um, the Sabriel, uh, Lyriel Apples and All Kingdom books by Garth Nix. Mm-hmm. They were the first books that ever really got me into reading. Mm. Um, and it's all about like the gates of hell, and um, one person uses bells to keep devils in their place, um, oh. and death is a river. It's really, really beautifully written. I. Strongly recommend reading it, even. I've read the first one and really enjoyed it. Yeah, and they just get better. Yeah. Um, there's a dog in it, which is always great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's also a cat. Oh my god, is, okay, now I'm sold. Yeah, the cat's kind of... why we love cats. 
yeah. Yeah. yeah, graveyard book. Neil Gaiman. Oh, that's good. That's huge. Good. Brilliant. Yeah, I was talking about that the weekend. I just, it's so well written. It's, it's creepy. I love how the story just develops as well. Really beautifully. That, I have a secret, which is I don't like Neil Gaiman. Oh. But it's been nice being friends with you. <laughs> this is over. <laughs> I don't know what to do now. That's the first Neil Gaiman that I ever read. Yeah, and I read it for a course. I think I, I was at university, and I it wasn't a like children's literature um, course. And I I just I always heard again. I'd always heard about Neil Gaiman, and everyone like built him up. And I was always I had always that thing of like, what if I read one of his books and I'm really disappointed? And I read that, and it's genius. It's <laughs> yeah, great. And that it's got it, the opening scene is so chilling. Yeah, that I think you just can't. It's so good. Uh, and it immediately draws you in, and I, yeah, I read that before I read any of like the big stuff, like American Gods, yeah. and, and yeah. I think that's that's a really good example of. There's a vampire in that as well. Yeah. Maybe. yeah. Mm. <laughs> I mean, American Gods is the first Neil Gaiman yeah. that I read. That's got yeah. some really creepy bits. Um, I started with Sandman in the comics, mm. so I started there, and then mm. went transitioned into his books, but. Sorry, Sorry, Beth. Sorry, Beth. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> just okay. proved you wrong. <laughs> I've read loads. Of, so I've read American Gods, Good Omens, oh, Stardust, no. Coraline. Uh, you don't like Coraline? Coraline. American <gasps> Gods. Um, and I think maybe one or two more. And it's just, I always prefer adaptations. Okay. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, Even the American Gods one? Yeah. Oh, oh no. God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I just, my. I found it too long and it just went on for too long. And oh. I was like, oh. Okay, we get it. Like, no one likes each other. It's fine. Just chill out. <laughs> I feel like maybe I shouldn't be a bookseller, actually. <laughs> if we all liked the same things, it would be very... This would be yeah, a very boring podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's about one, but... It's not going to be talked about Dracula. It's fine. Um, an old, uh, I guess, YA book that I read for the first time this year is called The Halloween Tree uh, by Ray Bradbury. Um, which I only know because of the the song that I can't say on this because it has an expletive in the title. Um, that is sung by the um, what's her name? The chick from uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Rachel Blow. Yes, yes. Yeah. So she mentions the Halloween. So I was like, I'll look it up. I'll see what that is. Um, very surprised at the depth of the book. For I mean, I it shouldn't be surprised. I guess just because it's written in a for a young audience, but. Um, it's the idea is these kids are going out trick-or-treating and one of their friends is ill and can't come with them and they end up meeting this um, this character who ends up taking them through different eras of like cultures and eras uh, within time of just how people deal with death and so they go to like ancient Egypt, they go to Mexico for Day of the Dead. Um, I had had Alex read this. Yeah, too. it was so amazing because it all ties into the costume. There's this group of yeah, like eight yes, boys. And they're yes. all so like one's dressed as a mummy, yeah. so they go no, to ancient right. Egypt, and it's like explaining how they dealt with death and how that feeds into Halloween and the traditions. Right. What we do now for one Halloween. Was a witch, and they went to like the yeah, burning, like the, the, yeah. yeah. It's, and so, the, the, but there's also this like overtone of what's going on with their friend and why he's not there, and it. Yeah, yeah. It's it, like they're chasing him, and he keeps going. You have to meet me in this place, and they keep yeah. missing him. And they're like, "Oh, is, is it like death's got him?" And yeah, and they have to save him. And it it definitely becomes like this. That after reading it, I'm like, I read, I try to read a Christmas Carol, uh, Dickens Christmas Carol every Christmas time. Is one of my, this is now I think one of my go to Halloween reads because it was just 
it's lovely, then I'm not going to ruin the ending, but what the then kids do at the end and yeah. to work with the it's it was really good. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I, I read it immediately after reading Something Wicked This Way Come, oh. which has now just become like one of my favourite books of all time. I loved it so much. It's It's got everything. It's got a creepy carnival. It's got a really strong friendship. It's got tattoos. <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's great. It's one of those books I'd been meaning to read for like so many years yeah. and just never got around to. And I was like, right, now so is the yeah. time. And I don't, like, I'm annoyed at myself for leaving it this long. It's, it's really creepy. It's, but it's also very magical. The relationship between the two boys. Mm-hmm. And the fact that his father, the one boy's father, yeah. is obviously just seeing how they interact. And yeah, and then the language is, it's almost like, lyrical. Yeah, it's beautiful. Some of his descriptions, like I would have to reread a few times just to make sure that I'm getting everything that he, that Bradbury is trying to describe. Like it is gorgeous yeah. book besides the creepiness of this carnival that shows up in the middle of the night and are trying to you know wish fulfill people and how that has those yeah. repercussions and things there's like this mirror maze in it that people kind of get lost and almost drown in yeah. and there's a um a carousel that if you turn it backwards can make you younger or go forward and can make you older and it's it's great. It's like reading. It's like a fairy tale. It's got this very kind of old-fashioned feel in some mm-hmm. ways, but it's just it's and it, yeah, so like it's written like poetry. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, and the sort of main villain in it, he's the illustrated man from the freak show in the the carnival. But they describe his tattoos. It's like they're moving and like mm-hmm. they're reaching out. Yeah. Um, and you kind of think like they're like forms of different people that he has either like snatched or has done something like it's almost like where you think like they're almost not not scars is not the right thing but like trophies i guess is the right yeah. way of like what he has accomplished with his kind of stealing of souls and yeah oh it's yeah it's scary i mean they're so the, we're talking about we's you know the film from the 80s uh is it's it's great but there are some expert there are some special effects that i would like updated yes um, if we can put it out there into the universe. Yes. My dream now is for Guillermo del Toro to do an adaptation yes. of this book. That would be great. Because it would be amazing. I would be so happy. <laughs> you could do it as like a Netflix series. Oh, we don't need to rush awesome. through the story. Oh, I love it. Yes. it yeah, it's, yeah, it would be so good. Actually, speaking of, so I just read... Seamless. I just read the adaptation of Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro and Cornelia Funke. And that was really beautiful, but it was a really strange experience because it's one of my favourite films. And it's such a, like, faithful adaptation, but I've never read a book that was adapted from a film and, like, this far afterwards. And it has more fairy tale bits in, but it was almost like while reading it, I'd forgot that those just weren't in the film because the (laughs) film's got such rich imagery. And it was only because I watched the film immediately after I finished reading it because I was just like, let's watch the film now. And it's it's so faithful and it is really beautifully written, but it's a very strange experience to read this like. That is weird because how old is the film? When did it come out? 2005? Uh, 2004? I was going to say it's been a while. 
Still Maybe I'm just like. No, it's. That's interesting that they decided that like that much yeah. time. Like we're gonna write and let's do this. It's got beautiful illustrations in as well, hmm. but like not enough. I wanted more of the beautiful illustrations. Yeah. Oh, they should do it as like a picture book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I. Th- Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I think there's something about, um, the fairy tale element when it's mixed with the horror genre that just works really well. Yes. I think they're not really, like, strictly speaking scary, but, like, anything Angela Carter has ever written more unsettling than a lot of, like, straightforward horror to me just because of, again, there's a, there's mm. a very, very sort of dedicated care paid to, like, the language used and it it's very kind of, like, it, it really transports you into the the atmosphere of the story uh, there's this kind of just like removed from time aspect to it. I mean, any uh, of the sort of fairy tale retellings in the Bloody Chamber, I think, is masterful. But they and but they're also very gruesome and they're very visceral. Uh, there's always this element of like really like carnal sort of desire, and it's just like, they're really really good. And what is the Bloody Chamber about? I've seen numerous people reading it. So it's, I've never read it. It's retelling of like. Fair, like classic fairy tale oh, okay. so it starts with Bluebeard and that's the bloody chamber because they, they're all retitled as well and then there are like three versions of um, Red Riding Hood which obviously play very much with the werewolf sure. um, kind of uh, archetype rather than uh, than like the straightforward tale mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of like an evolution like in the order of the of the fairy tales it, because the protagonists are always women Oh. So it's a lot, it's seen through like a very feminist lens and a very kind of centered, it's very centered on female sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read two collections of short stories this year, which I think had the exact same effect. One is You Know You Want This by Kristen Repentance. Yes. Oh, yeah. Came it, here and we had an event. Yeah. Um, I bought it just because she was here. We recorded it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You can listen to that event. On our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but no, I bought it just because she was here and she, read it. She was great. Yes. I, that was a great talk. And she talks a lot about like being influenced by... So I think it, it was great because like she became famous because of the cat person short great. story on um, The New Yorker. Mm-hmm. But then she talks a lot about how she was influenced by like the horror genre or something. She reads widely. And she talks a lot about Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And kind of... And I, at the time, didn't know that the horror element would be so pervasive in her short stories. Yeah. And then I read them and I was literally this like, freaked me out. I what? Them, like at night, like I was reading for a bit, I was like, I wasn't prepared. I was like, oh. Yeah. Is, the one with crazy. the like insects. That's all I'm going to say if you haven't read it. It's very body horror. <laughs> yeah. Heavy. And it's just, but those are great and they're yeah. very unsettling. And again, um, it's, that there's this, this, in some of them, there's this element of like sort of, um, uh, sort of altered reality or like surreal um, uh, kind of aspects to it. And the other collection I read is Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado, which is very much kind of like on the same wavelength of um, it's very heavily centered on female protagonists as it explores female sexuality, but it also has such an eerie atmosphere to it the whole way through. It's excellent, and I would really like recommend it. if you like the Christian Repentian, like they yeah. go together really well. And um, 
and yeah, and it, there's there's elements of of kind of yeah magical realism almost in that one as well. And that's great. There's a really great short story collection by Kirsty Logan, which has just come out. Yeah, I was just about to mention yeah. it. Um, Things We Say in the Dark. Oh, what is that? It's it's really really good. Um, so she's done a couple of other books which were very kind of like magical realism. The Gloaming was my favourite book of last year. It is insanely beautifully written and it's set mm. in Scotland and like. Yeah, yeah, can I just highly recommend reading The Gloaming aloud? Ooh. This when I tell people this, they often give me a funny look. But I read The Gloaming aloud to myself, just like on a day off, and I read it all out loud, and it's so beautiful. There's just something about it that it needs to just be heard. Probably be much better heard by someone with a Scottish accent, yeah. as you can hear, don't have. But, um, and I, I didn't read it aloud to myself in a Scottish accent. But it's just like, it's so beautifully written. The oh, story's amazing. Like, you can hear, like, the waves in the background as you read it. Yeah. It's, it's so incredible. And... The middle section of Things We Say in the Dark literally contained every fear uh, and worry I've ever had about, like, pregnancy and childbirth and, you know, in both yourself and someone else. Um, I don't have any children. I wasn't planning on it anyway. But (laughs) if I had been thinking about it, I'd have read that middle bit and been like, "Mm, no, I think I'm okay. It's it's so good. She gets inside your head. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's yeah, really it's incredible. That makes sense because for me, the things that are realistic are always, I guess, for me, is scarier. I know there's some mm. people who believe in the supernatural and that that's great. But for me, things that could actually happen to me, that's usually the things that scare me the most. I can watch, you know, horror films that, you know, are super and that doesn't bother me at all. Whereas my husband's the exact same opposite. It's the opposite. For him, it's the ghosts and like you know, it's the weeping angels and Doctor Who that creep him out. Whereas I'm like, that's not real. Yeah, real. <laughs> yeah, I've had this conversation, exact conversation with my mom, where she's just like, oh, but that, but that's scary. And I'm like, well, it's a horror film; it's meant to be, but also, it's not real, so it's okay. Whereas like true crime stuff, yeah. that's scary. It's a real thing that's, that happened to yeah. someone. Right. Or oh, this is gonna hurt by Adam K. Sure. Yes, <laughs> that's true. That's frightening. <laughs> that real life I guess in a way that's why horror fantasy and, and like, like is in, it, it takes me out like sometimes like I don't want to read the real horror of life because that's more scary yeah but it's true that I mean if you read true crime and I love true crime is written now in such an accessible way because it's so huge everyone mm-hmm. wants to read about serial killers yeah, it's like yeah. one of those things that just really appeal and an appeal to women especially, especially. it's just yeah. like it's one of those things that it's almost like a, a preservation instinct mm-hmm. it's just like I'm just gonna read about all of these things yeah. and then never leave the house again <laughs> um I but protect myself. they're they're all written because often it'd be like I'm thinking of like Mindhunter and stuff like that and they're all written by people that work in the field like FBI Agent Mindhunter is written by the guy who founded the behavioral sciences unit in the FBI. And you read all the stories and they're like meticulously describing everything that happened to all these victims. And then you close the book, which is, again, written in such a way like that you're, like, you're so engaged. And then you have this moment where you're just like, that really did happen to people. <laughs> and so you're just like, I think, I think it's very true what you say about it, it, the... The things that are scarier are often, to me, definitely the most realistic or things that can happen rather yeah. than, you know, Nightmare, Nightmare Elm Street scenarios where you're just like, you know, well, monsters. Something yeah. that 
like my husband pointed out too, is that some things for him weren't scary. Cause like he's a white guy. Like, so a lot of times, and especially in horror films, let alone in like the horror genre, like, he wasn't the one being sought after. Like he wasn't the victim. Yeah. And so he doesn't find, and so until like seeing like get out and seeing it in a different cut, he goes, Oh, I, I see what the problem is. I haven't been the one that's been, these things have been <laughs> happening to. That's why it hasn't been scary to me because real life has been easier for me in, on an easier setting. And so those things, so the supernatural scares him, not the real life. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, you don't have that same level of... No, it's of like life. when I talk about, like, oh, you know, when I lived in D.C., walking home with, you know, the keys between your fingers and the different things. He's like, what? Like, I would never think about that or like I've told him make sure when you you know ride your bike at night make sure you're taking a lit path and it's like I, that wouldn't even dawn my mind like dawn on him that I would need to do that like so yeah. like I'm like oh man you have lived a very different life <laughs> because of not being a victim yeah I mean that's the things that like the things that actually keep me awake at night or like really freak me out I started listening to my favorite murder oh. and there was this point where I was heavily binging mm. and I had to have a week off from listening to it at one point because it was just freaking me out too much and I was be walking home you know in Oxford in a <laughs> bit so, of Oxford so just like what's that is that person following me <laughs> they just looked at me funny um they're clearly a serial killer uh yeah I had to have this week off of just like let's just not listen to true crime just just for a week till you calm down just read Dracula they'll just do that yeah whereas that's it I mean I've been watching a horror film every day in October and it's just been great I mean they've, they've not all been great but <laughs> but yeah it's just been really nice also like in order to fit it in what has been a very busy month I've watched those of short films that I never normally like get around to and that's been brilliant how do you just search for them or just yeah YouTube has so many um to randomly slightly tie this back to books one of the scariest things I have ever watched in my whole entire life where I've watched a lot of horror films is a short film by Drew Daywalt who wrote The Day the Crayons Quit and The Day the Crayons Came Home, two of the greatest (laughs) children's books of all time and are not scary and are okay for your small children. He had this horror film that it's just two people in a bed and the the woman kind of keeps getting up and going off to the bathroom. The guy's just like, oh, like, where are you going? What are you doing? And, And she's just getting a bit weirder and a bit weirder. And it's like she's been possessed. And at the end, it's so creepy. Just and it's because it, it's so simple. It's one set. It's pretty almost like one camera angle. Huh. And it's just this her slowly becoming possessed, while her partner is just there, not really realizing <gasps> what's going on. Wow. It is terrifying. And I feel like yeah, he did that, and then was like, let's write some happy books about crayons <laughs> who are upset. <laughs> um, it's a good balance. Yeah. <laughs> so I just like, why isn't Drew Daywalt written? Oh, oh. Come on, Drew. <laughs> so this month I've been trying to read um, uh, horror book, uh, only horror books throughout October. I found them really difficult, um, especially because I mostly read um, like female and non-binary authors. Mm. Um, I just haven't been able to find anything, which sounds really dumb. Yeah. yeah. I was writing this list just before we started doing this, just so that my mind didn't go completely blank. And I looked down on it. And 
I mean, I've got, I've got, there's a Susan Hill book, The Doll, that's really creepy. I've got Shirley Jackson. Mm. Um, I mean, and Daughter, Sons of Devils. But actually, you know, I, I had to think about it. And it was partly they were on there because we'd had this conversation before. And then also, if I look down my list, it's really white. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I'm sure there are lots of amazing books out there by people yeah. of colour that are horror books. Let us know. We'll Let stock us know, your book, please. Yeah. We'll stock ten copies. <laughs> we'll do a display. We'll do a window. <laughs> Maybe not during Christmas. But yeah. It's not Christmas yet. It's <laughs> It'll be the nightmare before. <laughs> right. I mean, I know it's still white, but I mean, obviously, Mary Shelley then is your. Yeah. I mean, that is that's a book Frankenstein that I read. That's been now. A little while ago, but I read that on my own. It wasn't one that I had to read in school. Mm-hmm. I finally got around. I'm like, oh, you know what? I should read this. And I think I was, I don't know why I was surprised, but there's a lot of classics that people tell you you need to read. And when you get to, you're like, whoa, yeah. this is not what I want to read. But Frankenstein, that holds up. Her mm-hmm. writing, that story, it, there are very creepy moments in that book besides obviously what's going on and, and what she's saying about you know uh, with the monster and the ethical ramifications of that and but it just it's very timeless and I can I, that is definitely a classic that I recommend to people that is yeah but it's good. interesting because I think like when we had this conversation about spooky books by women mm-hmm. and I ended up going back to like Anne Radcliffe who was one of like the early writers of gothic fiction, you know? So, yeah. so okay. who's, I mean, I guess you think of like, as Anne Rice. This, yeah. yeah. Her. I've never read any Anne Rice, but I've, I know she's like, read Interview with a Vampire, yeah. which I really, really enjoy. Mm. But then I haven't, there's like loads in that series on there, and yeah. I haven't read yeah. any of the rest of them. There's Laura Purcell, who's a relatively new author. So she's done Silent Companions. Yes, which I'm reading at the moment. Oh, mm. how are you finding it? I'm really enjoying it. I'm Good. getting towards the end. Mm-hmm. Also, so there's a whole bit of it that's set in um, this matchstick factory in Bow that I used to live near. Oh. And, um, and I need to look into the history because I can't remember when, but there was a big strike. The match girls mm-hmm. went on strike because the phosphorus in the matches was killing them and oh, um, yeah. they were going to talk thing called fuzzy jaw which basically would like disintegrate your jaw oh um, and they had terrible working conditions and i keep kind of waiting for this to become relevant to the book because i'm like why would you have it yeah. in this matchstick factory and i feel that it's not going to but i yeah. also can't remember exactly when that happened i think it was early 20th century so i think maybe it was too late once for... again real life more scary <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it but that matchstick factory is now swanky flat and I'm like, oh, thank <laughs> you. I do not want to live <laughs> surrounded by the angry ghosts. Well, so the ghost stories there, man. Yeah. yeah. Don't burn a candle. There's also um, in Wandsworth uh, an old mental hospital mm-hmm. that is now swanky flats. Oh. Like, no. I'm not spending the kind of money they're going to charge oh. to live in a place that is 100% haunted. Yeah. What's the point? Like, unless you um, want, unless that's what you want. Maybe. I do kind of want to live in a church one day. Oh, yeah. I feel like that'd be quite, quite I've seen nice. some really nice flats that they've done in, in yeah. churches. Uh, capitalism. You just have to get ordained. My mum and dad live, like, basically on top of a church. Ooh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I grew up in a big, like, Victorian vicarage. 
Ooh. weirdly in the middle of a like East End council estate. But um, that was super, yeah, that was spooky. Yeah. They didn't tell me until they moved out that a child had died in the living room because they had those big, like a proper Victorian house, had big wooden shutters and shutters had fallen on this kid and killed him. <gasps> it was you, Alex. Uh, it was me. Oh, oh my God. God. And I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> you're my cool. Yeah, and I was just like, why wouldn't you tell me this? And I'm like, oh yeah, you're really like morbid <laughs> nine-year-old when I moved in there. I see why now. That's fair. When they told me when I was like 18 when I moved out, I was like, I love that fact. <laughs> Good parenting, well done. Yeah. I used to live in a weird house that was from like the 1600s, so it was like an old gatekeeper's house. Oh, and wow. my parents saw some weird crap. But I was just just happily hanging out. Just <laughs> They don't have that problem in the States. Nothing's that old. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's, you're, it's over 100 years old. You're like, that's old. Yeah. So you can get some things on the East Coast, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you have the whole New England. Yeah. You got some, witchcraft. Yeah, exactly. You got the, yeah. yeah, the New yeah. England bits. And then, of course, any place that we've massacred people. It's yeah. Native American. Mm-hmm. You have those issues. <laughs> scary Very things, angry but, ghosts. But no, no really old I feel like witches are coming back. I don't know if they ever went away, yeah. but I feel like there's been a lot of books, and I'm I'm all for it. I, I love this stuff. I'm reading a book right now that's nonfiction. It's called The Witches, Salem, sixteen ninety two history, uh, about the Salem witch trials. But I feel like in in fiction, there's definitely in film as well. It's definitely um, uh, coming back as something that that's because that's also horror that that centers on anxiety or like just mass hysteria and it's just like did this happen did this not happen and obviously it it's you know in fiction you can do you can go whichever way you want with that kind of stuff um one of my favorite and this is another, another comic book and it was collected in one one volume and again it's coming back it's called witches with a y w y and it's by Scott Snyder again, and uh, Jock is the artist. And the scariest thing about that, and again, we're talking about relatability and kind of just like it, that it, it is all centered on anxiety. And it's the anxiety of the two protagonists, it's a father and daughter, that kind of then explodes everything that, that is supernatural around it and just makes it scarier. It's because the real fears at the the core of the story are so relatable that then when they become kind of amplified by the supernatural aspect of the story um which is it all related to the woods and kind of like getting lost in instead of like losing yourself and just like what can happen if and, and then there are like literal creatures um, that are kind of the manifestation of anxiety the way that I read it and it's really terrifying the illustrations are amazing it's just the art throughout is really really creepy the way that the colors are used it's it's kind of just like you never really have a clear picture of what's happening so there might be like a million things that you're missing but at the same time you have so much coming at you that you're just overwhelmed by the experience it's really scary it's really really good and it's coming back 2020 yeah so i you lent it to me and i instantly then just bought my own copy she's like oh i need this in my life as mine it's great i think one of the things with um witches and the current thing is that in some ways it's it's being used in a very empowering way okay there is this amazing book called witches sluts feminists 
by Christian J. Soley. Kristen J. Soley. Um, conjuring the sex positive. It's amazing. It takes examples of witchcraft both from fiction and history and the way they that women who when they're empowered how they are portrayed so it's like witches sluts and nowadays moving into like feminism and the feminist movement um it's wonderful it's very american and i kind of wish someone would write this book like a british version where it looks at like british versions of witches um but it's just wonderful it's great i read that and then instantly bought it for my mum made her read it she loved it it's one of those books that like all women should read and then all men should read as well so they can like learn a lesson. I remember the witches by Roald Dahl being especially oh. traumatizing when I was younger. <laughs> yes, that yeah. terrified me when I was that little. Is so scary. That's <laughs> it's like terrifying. first time I tried to read it, I had to stop. Oh wow. I mean I think I was seven. Yeah. But I was genuinely just like, they're coming for me. Yeah. They're coming it's for just, me. No, I love it. Yeah. the fact that they dress up as like nice people or yeah. whatever it's just like beautiful women and then yeah. it's just like, it all comes apart Isn't but it's just the Angelica Houston movie yeah. Okay. yeah see once again I don't think I've read it I think <gasps> I've seen the film the book is so of much better also is. like the film because in the book the wit- like witches are all evil mm. and in the film they can't resist having this like one nice witch uh, and I'm like you know this isn't a feminist text. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but also, like, they're not human. Right. Like, mm-hmm. saying, oh, look at these evil women. They're, they are, like, monstrous things. And, um, yeah, the book's great. And it does have a really strong, positive female character in it, in his grandmother. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Yeah, really. First time I tried to read it, I was just terrified and had to stop. And then I remember, like, reading it again and being, like... I've grown. <laughs> I'm so brave now. A lot of old dog is really scary. Mm. Oh, yeah. Finding Fantastic Mr. Mr. Fox is quite scary. Charlie and Chocolate Factor is terrifying. Oh, that's yeah. still weird. Yeah. yeah. That's just not right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But it's it's like spellbindingly so. Like, you just read, yeah. like, you read. I read all of them, I feel like, together. Mm. Like, one yeah. after the other. And I could not stop reading. I think The Witches, I read it the first time and then I read it again immediately after because nice. it had such an effect. I remember I was reading on a car trip to like somewhere on like, a holiday or something and I was just like, what is happening? And then just like read it again. But it it's that, it's that kind of... And again, it's because you don't expect to find something that scary or that weird maybe in a children's book. Well, yeah. n- now maybe not, not so like rare as it was before. Mm. But... I don't know. I, I definitely, did, like, that's not what you expect when you go and, and read a children's book that's about, well, The Witches is kind of, like, self-explanatory, but, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you don't expect all this, like, torture to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you read a book about a, a poor kid winning a golden ticket at Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might take us off Roald Dahl. I remember reading some really scary books when I was a kid, like The Children of Green No, which is really I old. haven't read that, and I really need to. It is quite scary. Green No, like N-O, or K-N-O-W? Yeah. Okay, that No. Okay. I don't know that. It's good. It's like a classic. It's really old. I didn't realise that how old it was, but it had been given a new jacket and everything. So I picked up a copy when I was about 11. I remember being quite scared um so when i was younger i read a cliff mcnish story called breathe a ghost story mm-hmm. and it was the first like true experience of a horror book that i'd ever had 
there are a lot of kids who's trapped in this farmhouse and they're ghosts. Oh. And I remember being so scared. And I think that's why I've always had like a, a thing about being scared of ghosts because mm. I think it just mm-hmm. traumatised me a little bit. And um, yeah, I remember um, also reading, has anyone read Celia Rees? The Witch Child. Yes. I read that was so good. Yeah, th- those books were amazing. She did loads of horror things. She did one called Blood Sinister, which was about mm. a vampire. And a few other horror books, which I've, like, I would probably say they're still really good. Oh, oh I don't know. No, I'm not either. Yeah, yeah there's, so talking about books that you just stopped reading and then started reading straight from the beginning, I think it's Magret by Lee Battersby. It's, again, it's a children's book. It, takes place in a graveyard that's sort of hidden behind everyone's houses it's hidden. it's just this beautiful strange dark book all about death but very much for children margaret is this child who's in the graveyard and i don't want to say too much because like it's a very short book but it's just like the way the story weaves together um is so well done yeah, no, I, you lent it to me, and I read, and I'm like, I can't imagine reading this as a kid. Yeah, I, would have, I think I would have been slightly, I mean, disturbed in a in a good way. Mm. I mean, there are just some elements of that his storytelling. I can't think of the author's name, but um, yeah, it, it is it is a creepy story, just yeah. set in one little location and one main character and yeah it's like a real it's a it's a real art of storytelling like just making things really simple stripping away Mm. everything and just yeah great creepy storytelling what books scared you guys as kids like what so i was just thinking and i'm like do you do you have Berenstein Bear books here? <laughs> no, I'm not bad. I had to bring this up because I had thought about it. Because there, this whole ch- so this is like pre being able to read. So this is parents and you know brother stuff reading to me. So I'm like three, but and I'll have it to the day I die. The spooky old tree. I had that read to me over and over and over because it was just it was always be like, will they do this? Oh, they will do this. Like, will they go into the tree? Will they look in the spooky thing? Like, and I just loved it. And so the fact that things, you know, you can be a three-year-old and just be caught up in that spooky unknown, like it excites you and it sparks your creativity, you know? And so I, you know, of course it's not, it doesn't scare me, but as a kid, I could just be like, I want to find a spooky old tree and go in it and find these treasures and find these different things and run out. And so, yeah, I think it's important that, you know, parents don't, sh- you know, shield their kids from things that can scare them because, A, it'll probably scare them even more later on if they, mm-hmm. when they are introduced to it later in life. But, you, you know, it's definitely, like I said, it sparks your creativity that use things that aren't real. You know, provides that, that place for. Did you did you read Funny Bones? Oh yeah, what is Alan that? Alan Olberg. Really familiar. They've gone and done like a series of them, and I think it's even on TV. But when I was a kid, there was just this one book called Funny Bones, and it starts off on a, on a dark, dark hill. There was a dark, dark town. In the dark, dark town, there was a dark, dark street. In the dark, dark street, there was a dark, dark house. I mean, I could go on because I've read this so many times. <laughs> I could probably tell you the entire thing, but. 
it's basically about this group of skeletons. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, you go all the way into this house, like down this dark, dark staircase, and in the dark, dark staircase was in this dark, dark cellar, and in the dark, dark skeleton, some skeletons lived, and there's a big skeleton, a little skeleton, and a dog skeleton, and they go and have all these adventures, and at some point, they all their, all their bones get mixed up, so then they have to like. Put the bones back together as so it's like you put the bones connected to your ankle bone. <laughs> <laughs> and I you know, I just love it, but it's it's really funny. At that beginning bit, I remember being read it like mm-hmm. as a small kid yeah. before I could read. Yeah. And it's just that like spooky where you're like, Oh, it's all dark and it's all weird, and what's gonna be down this staircase? And it's just oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any books particularly frightening me when I was a kid, but I just went and read a lot of scary books just because I like them. And that is that is just how it went. <laughs> no. I The first time I remember like being like, I just I did not sleeping at night. And I mean, this is not a surprise for anyone, but when I was 14, I read It. Oh, yeah. yeah. 14? That, wow, yeah. That is my favorite novel to this day. Because um, I don't know, like there are so it's so much more than just a scary book. Uh, I mean, it's like twelve hundred pages, so yeah. But I remember I never liked clowns when I was a kid, but I never had that phobia either because I never was exposed accidentally to like the nineteen ninety movie or whatever. But I just didn't like them. I remember going to the circus once, and I was just like, no. I just, I don't. So when then at 14, I picked up It. And like the idea of this, like, I don't know, there's something genius about like his main incarnation being a, a clown that eats children. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I would, I, I read it in about, I feel like a week and a half, two weeks, because I did not sleep. <laughs> and so I was just like, well, I might as well just stay up and read this. And I just like, <laughs> I just, because I'm not going to, if I close it and then just like, and lying in bed with my eyes, just like open, like staring at the ceiling. So I just read it so fast and I loved it, but it just terrified me if I feel like I didn't sleep for a month after I read. It was like, I really like I had to, and then I read, I, I spent a year just like reading just Stephen King because yeah. I did not learn my lesson clearly. <laughs> but I just, that's, yeah, that's my favorite book. But that's also the first time that I remember being like viscerally terrified by a book that to the point where I couldn't sleep. Yeah, when I was a kid, I used to have just, um, I do still sometimes, but less. But when I was a kid, I used to just have really horrendous nightmares, like all the time, really, really bad. And eventually I thought, well, People always say, oh, you shouldn't look at this. It will give you nightmares and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I'm having them anyway. So I might as well read it or watch it or whatever. So, yeah, I think I was 11 when I read my first Stephen King. I read Carrie um, because it was shortest. And to this day, my top tip, if you're trying out a new author, try their shortest book. Because, you know, then you can go on to other things. But, yeah, and then I read, I went through, you know, there were a good few years of just reading so much Stephen King. Um, and I reread it just before the first of the new films came out. And there's still, you know, the scene I mean. Yeah. And anyone who's read it, if I just say the word fridge, you know ah, the scene I mean. That's terrible. <laughs> it's just terrifying. It's still, I sat down, I started reading it in the staff room, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> it's still terrifying. We did the same thing of rereading it right before the 2017 film came mm. out. 
And I was like, it's not gonna scare me as much as when I was 14, because I've already read this. And guess what? It did. <laughs> not more. It's just like... It's, it's worse when you know what's coming. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, another point too, as you reread things at different ages, different things scare you. Yes. Like different, different scenes, different situations that just didn't have that experience yet as a 14-year-old. And then as you come to it at a different age, like, Oh, geez, that's that is terrifying in a different way. Mm. Yeah, I rewatched Blair Witch Project um, oh, the other day. I did, I, I did sleep just, with the light on on that. I oh, was so obsessed with that movie. when I was 18 when it came out. I was completely obsessed with it. I was on the website all the time. I bought the book. There was a soundtrack album. It was what? basically the mu- the music that Josh would have put on the finished documentary if they hadn't all died. It was a great marketing scheme oh my God. before yeah. social media yeah. and all that. Just amazing. But I rewatched it, and I remember the first time I watched it. What's the female character called? Oh, I have no idea. Um, Heather. Heather. I was just having this like I'm just like all I remember is the bit when she's going, I'm sorry to my mom and Mike's mom and Josh's mom. I just love that bit. (laughs) (laughs) But um the first time when I watched it when I was younger, I found her so annoying because she's really bossy Mm. and really like officious and like, oh Heather's so annoying. Watching it now, especially with a job as like events coordinator where I'm constantly (laughs) having to like coordinate people, I was like, I just felt so sorry for her. (laughs) Like she's basically gone off into those words. It's too useless man. You're blaming her for everything, even though it's not her fault. It's the Blair Witch. Like she doesn't lose the map. (laughs) Anyway, I just went into this like I was but I was amazed. I was just like, here we are, like twenty years later. And you can see how I have grown in the time and the, the film still terrifying the end still terrified me i was watching it at like noon brightly lit room and i was like oh no oh, what terrified me as a kid i don't think it was thriller the music video did <laughs> when he turns into the monster especially like when he turned into the monster he goes that bit scared crap out of me growing up my mum used to watch a lot of like filipino horror films oh, so wow. i saw some Oh, I'm sure Shit. Shotty would have blanked that word out. <laughs> <laughs> like, horrific stuff, like a lot of... I remember there was one which she was watching, and she was just casually doing the ironing, and I was in bed reading. Yeah. Um, and then they had this scene where this woman saw a premonition of her own death, and she was dead in a dumpster. And I was, like, seven. <laughs> and I just remember being like, whoa. Wow. And it's still in my head. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I watched this film called The Changeling. I don't know how old I was, but I was around my grandparents' house. My granddad was like one of the people who really got me into horror. And um, we were watching this film called The Changing, which we arguably should not have been watching. <laughs> um, and my brother would just like, we had to stop watching it because he was really freaking out. And I was freaking out too, but I wanted closure. I wanted to know <laughs> what happened. So I, like, I still have this scene, like the last bit at the point, which was like the final straw for my brother is... You see this bathtub and it should be empty, and then there's oh. this like dead person under the water, but it's a ghost. Um, and my brother's like, No, we're not watching this anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, But I need to know. <laughs> I think I watched it again like many years later, and I was like, Oh, it's not that scary yeah. now, of course. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things that you see when you're young and it's like the first time you're really exposed to that, and it just wedges, it wedges in your head. It's so true, but what you were saying, Kat, as well, about like what scares you as a child and then what scares you as an adult. And I just, I did not have a lot of things that scared me, I feel like, when I was in terms of like books or films. Mm-hmm. 
Um, also because I spent all that time terrorizing my sister who was scared by everything. Um, but it, then now, and there's a lot of horror. And again, I feel that's also why um, women writing horror um, are just like more effective because you have that, again, that degree of mm-hmm. you relate to the anxieties that are in the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's both in writing and film, but like... Alex, you mentioned uh, Shirley Jackson's like Haunting of Hill House, mm. where like the terror is like psychological, but it's this bond with between her and the house, and when she starts going like the house wants me, and 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 stuff like again when when the ghosts are sort of the embodiment of like the the fears mm. you have inside you, whether it's guilt or like mm. grief. Again, I mean. Going back to Stephen King, like Pet Cemetery, there's like the whole bit in the middle, which is all about grief, which yeah. messed me up so much. I read it last year, and I just I I did not want to dwell in that protagonist's head any longer, just because it was just so real. And then again, just everything that happens that supernatural around it just like feeds into it, but is born from it as well. Yeah, um, stuff like the Little Stranger. Which is all about ghosts that are basically the embodiment of class anxieties and like just of the dying of like a, a certain kind of age, and and um, and another book that terrified me for the same which again it's all internalized feelings that become like manifest is Beloved by Toni Morrison. Oh. Yes, which I read overnight, which was not a smart choice. I just read the whole thing, it was wow. like 300, 400 pages whatever, and I was just like not the same person after oh. I read that book. And uh, that's another one that I think aside from being just excellent writing, just just you're just yeah. in awe of the of the of the craft. Uh, but it's such an atmospheric ghost story where again it's all just yeah coming like these feelings coming together into something so unsettling that you just have to run away from it and it's like this terrible lived experience of like an entire you know generations and generations of a whole race of people that come together embodied in this one like ghostly character Mm. and then the effects she has on all the people around her it's yeah it's amazing i feel like rebecca kind of uh like there's a whole like uh, the Daphne du Maurier, mm-hmm. like you never Rebecca isn't there. She's not a ghost, but her presence is so strongly felt, and it's not quite yeah. a ghost story, but at the same time it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the whole the mystery of what happened to her and yeah, and her presence weighs so heavily yeah. like, on the main character who is unnamed. It's like she's haunted by someone she's never really she's never met, she's never seen. Sorry. Um, yeah yeah and it's almost like she you know the fact that she's not named it's like she has less identity yeah than this dead woman it's yeah i love that book. it's just like the past becoming a ghost and kind of just like what you don't know becoming a ghost and it's just like the the mystery itself yeah is the ghost and it's kind of like you're trying to solve that that sort of uh, like trying it's like what you were saying about the film of where you're just like I do want to know what happens but I'm terrified at the same time yeah and yeah it's all this but it's all these books that are absolutely just absolutely live in an interior like in a character's interior and and then just like 
it, that in some way manifests itself as either some kind of supernatural entity or just it's the character itself doing things that they do not realize that they're doing. And it's kind of that dimension of just like also yeah. not being fully in control of what you're doing. I remember Stephen King saying something along the lines of like that the most terrifying thought that he had wasn't so much that he'd wake up and found out someone had killed his family, but he'd wake up and realize that he'd killed his own family. And they're like, that actually, that's the scariest thing is yeah. you doing something really awful. Um, so I realized I haven't talked about Joe Hill. Huh. I've written him on my list, which is terrible because I love him. Um, <laughs> one of my greatest days at work was Joe Hill came in just to sign some stock off the shop floor and they were bringing out some proofs of the fireman. And I was so excited. I came in on my day off for free. <laughs> just so I could be here to like look after him. I drove everyone in the shop slightly mad, <laughs> bouncing around like the shop. So overexcited. He turned up. I was like, professional face on. I was like, oh, hi, Joe. <laughs> we came here to the gaffer's office where we're recording um, to sign. And it was just great. But like Nosferatu, I mean, everything I've read by him is amazing. Nosferatu is my favorite. It's also, you know, with Christmas coming on, a lovely Christmas story. <laughs> um but it's creepy and it's it's the it's one of the things I love with Joe Hill is that it feels like you're reading like Stephen King but like next generation. Mm. Um it's wonderful, it's really spooky. You really sort of care about the characters. Um Heart Shaped Box as well, that's amazing. Lock and Key, those comics. Oh yeah, I haven't read that's this very old fashioned, like sort of Traditional horror, it's all about the house. They move into this creepy old house and the house of secrets and Amazing. it's brilliant. And he's got, he, he definitely, I mean, you do feel like you're reading two completely different voices, which is great mm-hmm. uh, when you're reading Stephen King and Joe Hill. But he definitely does have Stephen King's just like talent for just like character building. Yeah. Because he, he, the characters in Lock and Key are amazing and that like they drive the story completely. But yeah, there's a lot of ghost action in that as well and yeah. hashtag, ghost. hashtag ghost action <laughs> um yeah have you read house of leaves yes, yes. <laughs> oh, i love that book so much also i know i grew nice. up in a house that i feel could, there's a bit at the beginning of house of leaves mm-hmm. where they realize that the dimensions of the inside of their house are bigger than the dimensions of the outside and it's just like it's the very beginning and it's just the first like weird thing that happens and I just remember thinking, yeah, I can imagine that in like the house I grew up in. It was just mm-hmm. a bit of a like weird old house. But oh, I just I love that book so much. That is a mad book, and yeah. I would recommend it to everyone. It's a commitment because it's like yes. nine hundred pages. Yeah, and you have to you turn it upside down at one point. Put it in front of the mirror. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. it is absolutely worth it because you will lose your mind. Yeah. Along with the protagonist. It's great. Because yeah, I came across it because his sister Poe was an artist and had a couple albums, like 2000s. Oh, really? So yeah, he, he called Poe. Like, she has a good uh, song about like being a, like a, like a murderer. In that sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, about, like, a, like, a, like a crazy ex-boyfriend that she wants to kill and send to hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you have her with her music and then her brother wrote that book. Wow. Yeah, I love House of Leaves. <laughs> it's great. It's a trip. Yeah. In every, it's just, it's insane. It's so good. 
Yeah. I, oh, I want to read that again now. Yeah. Oh, so no, no. I, I had to like, go back. No, she's in hell. And she's talking about how she wants to kill him. That's that's this song. Yeah, she okay. wants to go oh, back. Yeah, yeah. She wants to hear this. Yeah. So I'd say my final recommendation is um, "From Here to Eternity" by Caitlin Doherty. Mm. I loved this. Yes. so much. Yes. And I think you read it as well. Yeah, it is genuinely outstanding. It's all the different ways that people manage death around the world oh, um, and how they treat their dead and their like cultural practices and everything yes. also made me ask a lot of weird questions in the staff room like I was talking to Ulrich the manager of the Norrington room I was like Ulrich why is it illegal to bury a dead body in your garden I don't understand surely it's just the ground you can just bury bodies anywhere he's like hmm okay <laughs> oh we need to have a whole talk about this yes <laughs> yeah. also like why can't you just like like why, why can't you just be buried how you want to be buried or cremated how you want to be cremated why does it have to be specialist ways it's, it's your those, body you lose autonomy over it once you die and it's it's all those crazy you know grave robbers and disease it's all those that past history that you have to kind of get through some of those weird laws i think yeah and some places are starting to finally go back yeah. and yeah. get rid of some of those laws and well she talks know, about that in the book there's like areas in america where you can have your body burned yeah you can have actual like outdoor on like, a pyre, like, yeah, which is amazing. You can't yeah. do that. And, with, and then I just read her "Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs," which was really fun to read. Which was like she compiled kids' questions because she loves that because quick kids kind of you know don't feel uh, ashamed to ask certain questions or feel you know they'll they'll just lay it out there. And so that was very uh, humorous and interesting uh, to read. Yeah. Just you know. Things like you know, how, you know, can you give grandma a Viking funeral? That was one of my favorite questions. That was in there. Nice. So, so yeah. So I, I, yeah, she's a great author. She's she's really entertaining. Um, she's, I think she's a YouTuber as well. But she's a crematoriumist. What do you call those people who are crema- who do work in the crematorium? Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Crematorist. Crematorist. Weird. I don't want that travel. But uh, yeah, yeah, she owns. It's in California. She has her own. I think. It's a yeah. Place. Really interesting. Yeah. No, yeah, her smoke. It's in your eyes. Is also on my staff. Right? She's yeah. yeah she, mm-hmm. All of her. My final recommend. Which is really hard because I have so many on my list, but I'm going to go for the Talisman by Stephen King and Peter Straub. It's an amazing book. You know, it's a big fat time. And then there's a sequel to it, Black House, which is also amazing. The two of them, I feel like their styles just come together really well. You end up with this wonderful world building. It's about a boy who's trying to save his mother on one level. And then on the other level, there's this like evil kingdom. Um, It has got one of the most satisfying deaths of a bad guy in any book I've ever read you're gonna have to read to find out what i'm talking about but it's it's creepy there's a whole bit where he has to go through this tunnel and he has the ability to like swap between these worlds and he's stuck in this creepy world and he has to go through this you know in our world it's just like a tunnel under a mountain um but there are lots of horrible things there and you know there's the kind of supernatural element but there's also really horrible humans and you know it's him like struggling through um read it a couple of times and it's just yeah it's really great and i feel like it's one of those books that should be better known than ever mm. if you like stephen king and you haven't read the stuff that he did with peter's drop then you really should it's a treat i'm gonna go with a classic that i don't know that a lot of people read here they've probably seen the tim burton film but the legend of sleepy hollow is actually a really good 
um, more of a short story than a novel, if I remember correctly. It's been a few years since I've, I've read it. But it is a good creepy, especially I grew up on a Midwestern farm. And so um, the idea of the, the you know, headless horseman coming out and you know, you know, terrorizing this small, this a New England town setting. But it's a good atmospheric, you know, fun story of kind of the early Americana that I would uh, uh, recommend for those who enjoy that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My final recommendation, because I haven't talked about this yet, and I feel like because I'm at the art shop, I'm going to end on a graphic novel, and it is perfectly compliant with the theme of this podcast is Batman the Long Halloween. Yeah, that's a great one. It's a great it's a great graphic novel because you don't need to have read anything else Batman related, you don't need to have read anything else superhero related DC comics. It's just like you can jump straight in. It's self-contained. It's um, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. The art style is really unique and it features pretty much like every villain on the face of Gotham City. And uh, but it's it's a really, really good noir mystery. And it's not an a horror story, but it's 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 a really sort of like dark crime. So it's really well written mystery. And yeah, come and pick it up at the art shop. Thank you for joining us for another very special episode of Blackwells Presents. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Blackwell Oxford. Check out our YouTube Blackwell's Bookshop and visit our Eventbrite page to find out about all the exciting events going on in the bookshop. From me, Alex, Kat and Kiara, happy Halloween! Happy Happy Halloween! Halloween.